The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. I am actually a much bigger Dogs fan than my wife is a Packers fan, so take that. Okay? As you guess, as you perhaps you guess from the, the stories that I've shared so far, sports has, it became a bit of a passion uh, for me from a rather early age. And the only problem with that is that I was never actually any good at them, okay? In high school, I quickly became the manager of the basketball team. I quickly became the statistician for the football team. And the baseball team flat out cut me and gave me nothing. Okay, so, so those, those things were probably good. The, the job as a statistician for the football team was actually a lot of fun. That job turned into a, a weekend gig at a local AM radio station, Radio 1450 K1P. As a high school student, I had my own radio show, Ryan Church, rolling with you here on a Saturday night. 1450 on your dial, number one in your heart. We're taking your phone calls, your requests, dedications, and if you need any love advice, it's 457-1450 now. Here's Brian Adams with everything I do. Okay? It was... It, thank you. Thank you. Honestly, as a high schooler, I didn't actually give love advice on the air. Probably would have tried, but I did play Brian Adams for sure. Well, that job as a, as a radio DJ and working as a, as a statistician and the basketball manager actually turned into a job here when I was a student at the University of Washington in the athletic department. And that turned into a job with the Seattle Mariners in their, in their public relations office. And, and then I also worked for ESPN TV covering college football games. So given those jobs with the Mariners, I technically made it to the majors even though my high school baseball team cut me. And yes, as a matter of fact, my mug has been on ESPN for that proverbial 15 seconds of fame. Not bad for a little unathletic runt from Port Angeles who often gets mistaken for Harry Potter. A little bit more about that <laughs> later. So as I, was, as I was making my way up through things like being the manager and these various jobs, I really felt like my life was outlined for me. I was going to do something in sports administration or communication. I was going to marry the girl that I had dated in high school for, uh, for three years. And of course, I was going to have a lot of money. Like a lot of people that are graduating from high school and doing a lot of different things, I was really looking at the world through, through lenses that primarily had me in focus. I had a very clear, if not semi-fantasized version of me. Well, as I came to college, having that, that vision that really hinged on me and, and my life and my desires, my girlfriend, my successes, my ability to make a name for myself, everything that I could achieve, it worked out as long as everything was going my way. It hinged, my life hinged on favorable outcomes that were stemming from favorable circumstances. And as we start our year together, I invite you to consider, and perhaps us to consider as a community, what is it that your life hangs on? What, what is it that really provides that 
that hinge. Now, for many of you, no doubt the answer will be Jesus. That's a good thing. For some of you, it isn't. You're exploring the faith for the first time, and welcome. This is a great place to do it. It was the place that I did it as a college freshman, to be sure. But for those of you that have that vision of Jesus, I would then pry in to say, well, what is that vision of Jesus? We see a lot of different visions of Jesus, right? Of course, uh, take a look at some of these. Of course, there's the classical view of Jesus that, that honestly looks a lot like, like a Jesus that would be right out of Little House on the Prairie, for those of you that even know what that is. Of course, you know, you have kind of funny, blue-eyed Jesus. Man, I don't even know what to make of that guy. It kind of scares me, actually. And then, of course, you have Buddy Christ. Hey, we, we, all love, uh, we all love ourselves a little Buddy Christ, giving us the thumbs up and a wink. Um, and then, of course, we have Hipster Jesus. This guy can be seen all over Seattle and Portland. It's awesome. And then, of course, we have Jesus is my homeboy. Okay, we love, we love our T-shirts and hats that, that have our vision of Jesus, that have our various visions of Jesus. There are a few big assumptions that I make as we gather here tonight. A few big assumptions that I make about you that I want to tell you as we get started. First, if you are here, and I'm so glad that there's so many people here. What a, what a great night. My first assumption is that you're craving community. You're craving to be a part of something bigger than yourself. And certainly one of the things that I've come to understand about the Inn and University Ministries Young Life College over the years is that we do community really well. We facilitate this well. We do it in our core groups. If you've never been a part of a small group Bible study, or even if you had, you know the value of them, I want to invite you to step into one of those, uh, one of those communities tonight. You can sign up and back uh, after the end. Come on a mission trip with us. You heard Briley talk about how that was a, a big influence, a big kicker in his year uh, last year. Uh, we go on, on some retreats. Get away and be together as a community. And uh, most of everything that happens here happens because our student leaders are awesome and they drive the whole thing. So I assume that you come because you were craving community. You were looking for, for your peeps, looking for some, some folks that uh, you, can, you can get to know, that can get to know you, that you can hang out with. Second, of course, is that I assume you are here because you want to discover more of who Jesus is. Some of you are doing that for the very first time. Perhaps you've never been in a church before. Some of you are, have, have done this before, and you are seeking to go deeper with Jesus. I believe this is a place that can be a home for both of you. And I believe that what we're going to look at through fall quarter is something that regardless of where we're at, we need to engage this once again. Because the place that we are going to set sail from as we once again explore who is God, who is Jesus, the place we depart from that we want to talk about is love. If we're going to have any shot at knowing who the real God is, we have to start with love. If we're going to have any shot at going deeper in, under, in our understanding of who the living God is, we have to start with love. If you're going to go deeper with each other, if you're going to know each other, it's going to start with love. So it's fall quarter. 
Let's hop on board and enjoy being on this journey together. Let me pray for us as we get started. Lord, help us to know you more. Lord, help us to make sense of your word as we come to it. We long to discover truth and we ask that you would reveal that truth to us. We know that we are a people who need help. And so, Lord, we ask uh, that you would help us as we gather, uh, as we read your word uh, here in the first week of our year together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) Excuse me. All right. One of the things that I have come to love about the Bible as I've continued to read and study it over the years, is that the Bible asks a lot of difficult, uh, very honest, if not skeptical questions within the text uh, itself. Often I find myself reading these stories where there is a, a perhaps a skeptical question, an inquisitive question, and find myself really identifying with those questions even more so than I identify with some of the, the great heroes of the faith. And so in what we're going to be coming to tonight, and what is really going to guide our study uh, together over the next month, is, is a group of people who are challenging Jesus on his teachings, challenging Jesus on what he thinks uh, about God. And after he, he finishes the kind of satisfactorily answering questions from one group of people, another group of people uh, steps up. And they don't necessarily have the intent of of what we might call genuine learning in mind, but rather they are asking questions with really the intent to expose the person answering the questions as wrong. They're setting a trap. So we pick up uh, what we're going to look at, just a few verses, very famous uh, grouping of verses here. Some of you, I'm sure, have probably memorized this in your journey uh, at some point, but this is uh, under the heading, The Greatest Commandment. Matthew 22, beginning at verse 34. It says this, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, one group, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and the prophets hang or hinge on these two commandments. All right. So who are the Pharisees? Who are these folks that are are questioning Jesus? They are a very passionate group of folks who see the world through very nationalistic lenses. Instead of, of, well, these are, these are guys who really believe that, that the law needs to be successfully obeyed. And if, if they and the people of Israel actually deliver on, on living into obediently obeying all these laws, then the conditions will be right that the Messiah will come in and raise God's chosen people into the most prominent place, into being the people of power. Now, all of this comes out at a time where, where the, the Roman Empire was, was the dominant force in, in the region. And in a lot of ways... What the Pharisees are longing for is to have a, a theocracy, a, a, to have, have this be their country where God is in charge instead of the Romans. 
Thus, the Romans and this occupation, the people that are kind of holding them down, really shapes the desires that they have. They have a very nationalistic ambition. So they are very motivated to obey and get it right so that God might put them in a place of authority and power. Well, what Jesus has done in the passage that we just read is attack that worldview and the very lenses that they look through the world with. Instead of the law being about laws and ordinances and commands about being a country, he says that all these laws that you've been studying to try and get right, to gain power and influence and authority are really about love. It's not about all this other stuff. It's about love. Instead of the prophets being about judgment, it's about envisioning a different way of doing life and doing community where love is the central ethic that leads to a justice that sweeps throughout the entire world. A justice that comes out of deep love. So one way to to really paraphrase the condition that Jesus is speaking into and what he's getting at is to say, the meaning of life is not about being right and powerful. It's about loving powerfully. It's about loving powerfully. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, what is it? I know that we're, we're tempted to, to think about love in perhaps merely a romantic sense. We're, we're tempted to reduce love to something that Hollywood might give us here. But what I want us to start thinking about, and really what the next month is going to be all about, is trying to recapture a really big sense about what is this love of God and, and what is this love that we are to love with in the world because it is radical, it is crazy, it is gritty, and it is passionate. Not to be confused with power, authority, and recognition. What we're talking about here is love. Some of you know that there are four different words that are in Greek that are used, uh, uh, that are translated love in English. The word that is used here is intended to give us the biggest idea of love that we could possibly have. That's agape. Another place, the Greek word is called agape. Another place where that word is used is perhaps the most famous passage in all of the Bible. John 3.16. For God so loved the world, agape, that he gave his one and only son. That's love. A love that would give anything and everything. So when Jesus is saying it all hinges on this, loving God and loving your neighbor, he's, he's totally redefining how we understand things to say love is central. It is who God is. He's forcing the Pharisees to change their lenses, to change out the lenses that would, that would try to see the world through lenses of power, and influence, and authority, and to say, you've got to change out the way that you see everything. It's a love that, that 
is transformed. Another place in scripture that we see what kind of love Jesus is talking about is in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this in chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When I'm trying to say that we need to get out of of thinking about love in a Hollywood type of way, the type of love that's being addressed here is a love that says you got to love your enemies. That's radical. You don't just love your your brothers and those who are easy to love, which is essentially what the, the end of this passage says. If you love only those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? Now you've got to love your enemies. You heard Briley talk about going down to the Dominican Republic. It's a trip that we've done for several years. I know that there's, there's scores of people in this room that have been down to the DR with us. I've had a chance to go on it in several years. Every year we get to work with these kids who are absolutely adorable. Okay, there's a, there's a snapshot of them. And, and for the most part, it is a really, really great time. And, and usually the testimonies that we have from up front that talk about the DR, we want you to hear how sweet the kids are. Well, I'm going to tell you a different story, okay? A story of, of being down there where there was this kid that could not have been, I don't know, more than, say, five or six years old. And in, in the, at the beginning of one week, he quickly became my nemesis, okay? Every day that we would go out to this village and I'd see this kid come around the, the corner and he, <laughs> he had this, you know, he's got this really, really cute face. And I mean, he had these giant teeth. You know, these giant, beautiful white teeth. And so we're playing this one game and, and we get into things. And I have, I don't know if it was something I said, something I did, but he, you know, he it, it, at some point comes up to me and with his foot, you know, um, kicks me in a place that we, that we might say is rather sensitive for males, okay? Okay, it puts me on the ground and of course... He, he, he's laughing, all of his friends are laughing, my teammates are laughing, okay, and, you know, so I'm like, okay, okay, you know, um, I, I don't like you. <laughs> so then we play another game, and, and, uh, and again, this kid, you know, we're, we're doing whatever, and these kids are running all over the place. Those of you who've been to the DR know it can be just total chaos. Well, at one point, I kind of lose track of this kid. I don't know where he's at. I'm thinking, oh, thank God he went home. Okay? Well, the next thing I, I knew, I, something really, really hurt. He had come up behind me and planted those teeth right about here. And I mean, he bit. And it hurt. And I wanted to fight him. Okay? I'm supposed to be there serving these kids, and I want to fight them. Okay, this is bad. Okay, now, luckily I didn't respond. I, had, I, had I responded in the way I wanted to, I most definitely would have been fired. I would not be up in front of you right now. But instead, it was one of those things where, where I can say this came to mind and said, okay, how do I love little El Diablo here? Okay, <laughs> what can I do to, to love this person? And in... 
you know, we're not fortunate enough to have all stories resolved like this, but I can say in subsequent years, I've had great interactions with this kid. And what happened is I considered the love of God and trying to love this person who was hard to love is that it, it, it kept me from getting too far away and it gave me a second chance to, to have positive interactions with this kid. That's what the love of God does for us. Even when I wanted to fight this person, even when they were biting me in the butt, there was, there was a, a sense of tapping into this radical love that said, no, we're not going to sever the relationship here. And that's a good thing. Really, so often, I think we do things, frankly, that would be like giving God a swift kick to something sensitive or biting him in the butt. And yet, the way that God chooses to deal with us is love. What I'm trying to illustrate here is something that we just so often miss in Hollywood or if we reduce love to mere sentimentality or romance. What we're talking about here is not a love that, is, that, that runs away, not a love that is kind of casually interested. Okay, when I say casually interested, I'm sure that for those of you that are new to campus, you've experienced a lot of casual interest in the last few days. But what we're talking about here is a love that is genuinely interested. Interested enough to give everything. It is a love that is gritty and robust. Many of you have been inspired by a guy named Bob Goff, a lawyer and humanitarian seeking to fight some of the grave injustices that are done to kids uh, primarily in Africa. He says near the beginning of his recent book, Love Does, he says, the world can make you think that love can be picked up at a garage sale or enveloped in a Hallmark card. But the kind of love God created and demonstrated is costly because it involves sacrifice and presence. It is a love that operates more like sign language than being spoken outright. What I love about this is that he's saying it's a love that, that can't be contained. It's a love that is not just seen or not just heard. It's a love that's bigger than that. It requires us to pay attention. Because of how Jesus summarizes the law, we see that love is at the very heart of who God is. That love is at the very heart of who God is, and that's what challenges those images of Jesus that we talked about earlier. Those images of Jesus that some of you come in, in with that would have you believe that Jesus is waiting for you to somehow screw up and then smite you. That God is somehow disappointed with you. That you are somehow unworthy to go do this or that, to serve in this way or that way. Now, the love of God, even as we misbehave, remains and is for you. And so what I'm calling us to as we begin a new exploration in a year together is to change out our lenses. Now, as somebody who has worn glasses for the, the better part of my life here, changing out my lenses, yeah, well, and here's the thing, okay, that's... That's my junior year here at the University of Washington. I think I have a picture of my freshman year as well. Is there another one? Yeah, there you go. 
Okay, and here's the thing. I still have these glasses. Now you understand why people think I look like freaking Harry Potter, right? Okay, even though I'm way sexier than Daniel Ratliff. Thank you very much. Okay, that, that, thankfully, I have changed out my lenses over and over again to try and sharpen the way that I can see the world, that I can see my neighbors, that I can see myself, certainly that I can see God. As we start in on a new year together, I want to challenge you to change out whatever lenses you're wearing, or perhaps you just need to clean them, that we might, rep- that we might have these lenses of love as we continue. As we continue doing a few, I think, really practical things. That we need lenses of love as we continue to read the Bible. Okay, the Old Testament can be very confusing and, and I guess, bewildering. Sometimes people say that, that it really presents two different gods. But if we keep lenses of love as we read through the the Old Testament and, again, into the New Testament, it helps us see who God is. We can't just not read the Old Testament. In fact, it describes a God and a love of God that is mind-blowing there. A God who sets people free from foreign rulers. A God that brings his people back and restores them even after they have, have committed heinous crimes against God himself. When we read through lenses of love, we start seeing a God that is different than the one that we've likely heard about. We need lenses of love in how we view the world. What am I talking about? So often I have lenses of critique or complaint, particularly around the people that I live with, my neighbors. It's unfair that my wife gets this. What does it look like for you to, to have lenses of love on as you see your roommates and the people that you're close to? Instead of waiting for them to upset you or waiting for them to not put that dish back in the dishwasher or clean up the mess that they always seem to leave there. Instead of waiting for them to make that mistake that annoys you, what if you have lenses of love that allow you to, to anticipate the best of them? What do you think that would do for your friendship with them? Lenses of love. I think it also helps us see what God is up to in the world as we listen, as we see what's being transformed, what's being redeemed. We need lenses of love if we are going to capture a real sense of who God is. Well, right after that section of scripture that we read earlier, Jesus silenced them, and he and then Jesus asked the question. While the Pharisees were still gathered, Jesus asked them, "What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? What do you think about the Messiah? Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that he loves your neighbor?" Do you know that he loves the world? Do you know that he loves radically? And he's calling us to to a love that right now, as you sit here, you likely don't believe you're capable of it. I'm here to tell you that you are because of who God is. So I told you earlier, I grew up... um, in a family when I was four, 
my folks got divorced. Both my parents are, are currently on their third marriage. And so home life for me was very chaotic. Um, and one of, the, one of the results of that was, that was that my family didn't do a very good job of, of expressing our affection to each other pri- with words primarily. We're the type of family that, that our affection was expect, expressed, you know, deepest when we would say, love ya. Hey, Ryan, love ya. Hey, odds, love ya. Love ya. There was something in our family that to say, I love you, was just impossible, it felt. It was vulnerable to say that. I didn't have the strength to say it. As a college student, I discovered the love of God that was huge robust, way bigger than I could have ever imagined. And it was simple. But on the one hand, it led me to a place where I was vulnerable enough to go in front of my family and say, not, hey, mom, love ya. I love you. I didn't know what I was going to get back. It's a vulnerable, vulnerable place. But it was that same love of God that also gave me the strength to do that. To say, you know, this love is big and I can do this. I love you. The love of God is all at once something that meets us in our great vulnerabilities, way deep in those vulnerabilities. And it gives us great strength, not because of who we are, but because of who God is. The invitation to every single one of you is that we can discover more of that God and what it means for our lives as we continue together throughout the month of October. Please, come and join us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be people who love Help us to change out our lenses that we might get a more accurate view of who you are. Lord, that we might get a more accurate view of our neighbors, that we might get a more accurate view of ourselves. Lord, I pray for every single person in this room that your love would cover them as they go into their classes, that they go into their activities, uh, as they go into the places that they live. Uh, May you sustain them, give them energy. Would you heal them? Uh, Would you protect them, Uh, Lord, that we might be able to see uh, signs of your faithfulness uh, as we uh, journey uh, throughout an entire year together. Lord, thank you for bringing us together tonight. We pray that you bring us back right here again next week. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.